Our speaker today is just a really, really dear friend of the church family. If you've been with us for a while, you already know Dr. Nicholas Ellen and his wife, Dr. Vanessa Ellen, and we're glad that they're here today. Um, they have a ministry in Houston whereby they're pastoring. Uh, he pastors the church uh, there in, in, in Houston, and it's called Community of Faith Bible Church. And he's also a, a senior professor of biblical counseling at the College of Biblical Studies, and he's done a lot of work in the area of biblical counseling. And, and f- they are friends of our church family. They have been for years. We will get them here every chance we get. Uh, I heard downstairs there was another church talking to him about when they're in town. It's not going to happen. It just isn't going to happen. Sorry. No, just kidding. Anyway, but we're so glad that they're with us. Would you please welcome Dr. Nicholas Ellen? Good morning to you all. It is always a pleasure to be here with you. And I told Pastor Chris, I said, well, they tried to hit me up pretty hard at the conference there. I said, well, I'm not trying to be presumptuous, but I kind of have a standing invitation with some other family members that I have to see to. It is always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. It is good to be back in the house with family. Um, I love coming here every year when I get the privilege. We love California. We just can't afford to live here, so we visit. <laughs> but I hear some of y'all are coming to where we are in Texas, so it's kind of interesting. But I am so delighted. Uh, my lovely wife is here with me. I want to brag on her. She has started a new ministry, and I want you ladies to know about it. It's called Real Life Ministries. And I want you to go, now I'm learning all the different lingo. Is it like, how does it work? You like on Facebook, is that right? Okay, I'm learning. And she has a YouTube channel. So ladies, you want to go. Real life cooking, she talks about cooking and she gives scripture, has conversations. She meets with different women around the world. And every Thursday night from, I guess your time would be 4 o'clock or is it, no it'd be 7? What time would it be? four. And it's a wonderful thing. I watch it when I get an opportunity. So again, shameless plug for my wife. (laughs) I'm so glad again. I want us to open up in a word of prayer and I want you to turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to start at verse 16. Turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5 around verse 16. But let's pray together. Father, we thank you. You are so kind to us. You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. And we thank you, Lord, that in a time that's topsy-turvy to the world, we can rest with the anchor of you. And we thank you, Lord, that in the midst of all the trying times, we never have to worry about your presence because you never leave us nor forsake us. We never have to worry about your provision because you will always give us what we need. And we never have to question your love because you've proven it at the cross. So guide us now, Lord, to see what we need to see in order to make the necessary adjustments by the power you've given us, in order to live the way you've called us to live, to your glory. We ask all this in Christ's name, and all of God's children said, Amen. Amen. I want you to listen to the words of this statesman. I I found this to be fascinating, and it it helped me to think about the whole issue of self-control, as we're going to be talking about. But listen to this words. This man's name is Edmund Burke. He says this, Men are qualified for civil liberty 
in exact proportion to their disposition to put moral chains on their own appetites. Society cannot exist unless a controlling power upon the will and appetite be placed somewhere. And the less of it there is within, the more there is without. It is ordained in the eternal constitution of things that men of intemperate minds cannot be free. Isn't that powerful? Then he says this. The passions forge their fetters. And here's what he's saying. The less control a person has on themselves on the inside, the more control it has to happen on the outside. If we want to have a life of freedom, if we want to have a life of flourishing, we have to operate in the fruit of self-control. But if you want to stay in a life of bondage, that means you will live a life with a lack of self-control. So my question this morning is, how free have you been in the last seven days? Have you been walking in the Spirit's power and operating in self-control, leading to the kind of flourishing, leading to the kind of life that will bring the greatest glory to God and the ultimate satisfaction to your soul as you operate according to God's agenda? Or have you been lacking in control, putting you in bondage? When we look at Galatians chapter 5, and Paul begins to explain to us what it means to walk by the Spirit, and what it means to walk by the flesh. I want us to highlight one particular characteristic, but before we get there, I want us to look at the context here, because I think it's profound as we see where Paul is challenging this congregation at this particular location, and he's challenging us today, which is the power of life is always tied to the power of God who is within us. Now, let me talk a little Bible with you for a moment before we begin. Can we all say that if we look at the book of Ephesians, that when we put our faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, we were immediately sealed by the Spirit of God? Is that true? Can we agree to that? And we can find that in the Bible, correct? Is it safe to say that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is within you and within me if we belong to Jesus Christ? Is that true? Is it safe to say then that according to Philippians, it is God who is at work in us, so therefore he tells us to work out our salvation, not for it, but from it, and that we can do it because he's working within. Is that true? So if that's true, we have to ask a question. Why do we lack self-control in life? It's not because we don't have the power. It's not because God is not giving us the ability. There must be some other things. And I want us to explore that this morning. I also want us to think about how we can develop in self-control and and what is the importance of self-control because self-control is not the end of our Christianity. It's an avenue to something deeper. It's an avenue to something better. But if we don't want what's better, we won't walk in self-control. And so with that in mind, I want you to look with me at Galatians chapter 5. Starting at verse 16, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, 
And spirit there, he's talking about God, the Holy Spirit. And you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And again, the flesh is not your physical body. It's talking about indwelling sin, that residue inside of you that seeks to distort, that seeks to misdirect you from the will and the ways of God. He says, for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the thing that you please. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident. When you choose to walk by indwelling sin, it is evident by these things. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy, and drunken carousing. I like this. And things like these, just in case I missed yours. Isn't that nice? And things like these. But then he goes on and says, I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But now, I want you to notice, because the English language is very important in this passage, there is no S on fruit. Many people say the fruits of the Spirit, but the text says the fruit. In other words... There is this one fruit that has different slices. The evidence that I am surrendering to the power of God, the evidence that I'm lining up with his will, the evidence that I'm lining up with his ways, the evidence that I'm seeking to walk in a manner worthy shows up as these different slices appear in my life. Notice what he says in this passage. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and the one that we want to talk about this morning, self-control against such things there is no law. Now, I want us to ponder the concept of self-control because I believe the Holy Spirit put self-control last because the foundation of all the others rides and falls on self-control. When you look at your life, the foundation of your productivity, the foundation of you flourishing in a manner worthy of God, or you floundering, boils down to, are you willing to walk in self-control? So I want us to do some exploration of that this morning and take some time by working the definition according to this passage of self-control and then expand the reality of that to think through what does that look like in the context of life? Why should you and I at such a time as this be focused on this issue of self-control? Walk with me in your notes, if you will. The definition of self-control, as according to this passage, it is to restrain one's thoughts. It is to restrain one's desires. It is to restrain one's emotions. It is to restrain one's self, all the wall, his will, watch this, from sinful intent and involvement, but for a purpose. In order... To bring them into alignment with God's will. I want you to notice the transition of what self-control is all about. Self-control is not the end. It's a means. 
if we want to be aligned with God's will, if we want to be aligned with God's way, if we want to be aligned with God's peace, if we want to be in line with that which will bring the greatest glory to God, the biggest transformation of our souls, the biggest blessing to others, the biggest stability to our lives, the foundation to aligning with that is walking by the power of God in this characteristic of self-control. And I want us to talk about that because what this helps us to see from this passage is that we can deduce that there are four main reasons why you and I should be considering self-control. And as we understand these four main reasons, we can recognize that to the extent that we want to pursue these reasons will determine how much or how little self-control we will have in life. Because again, self-control is a avenue to something else given by God's power in order for us to walk in something else, to be something else, and to reflect all of what would be a blessing. Let me put it to you this way. The more you walk in self-control, watch this, God is glorified, the people around you are edified, and the devil is horrified. But the less you walk in self-control, something else is controlling you. With that being said, I want us to begin to talk about this. What is the purpose of self-control? The first thing I want you to see from understanding as we talked about walking by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. So if I'm walking by the Spirit, if I'm not carrying out the desires of the flesh, then the ultimate opposite is then as I walk by the Spirit, I'm carrying out the desire and the will of God. So one of the main reasons for self-control, as we see in point A, is for the purpose of devotion to God's order for existence. Devotion to God's order for existence. God's people are to enter into the spiritual gym to cultivate the muscle of self-control for what purpose? To protect and reinforce our respect, our devotion, our submission to God and his will. Well, to the extent that you are devoted to God and his mission and his will will be the extent that you will find yourself developing, cultivating self-control. Consider this passage that kind of brings that out. 1 Timothy 4, 7 says this, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. You will not be interested in self-control if you're not interested in being devoted to God and his will. Self-control is the avenue. It is the way by which we align ourselves to walk in this devotion. But secondly, self-control is for the purpose of demonstrating the character of Jesus Christ. If you're not interested in reflecting God's character, you will not be interested in cultivating self-control. The less you're interested in reflecting him, the less self-control you'll have in your life. The more you're interested in developing his character, the more self-control will flow through your life. Notice it says, spirit-enabled self-denial cultivate a life of restraint from evil in order to develop to maintain, to demonstrate Christ-like character. But thirdly, self-control is for the purpose of delving into a proper regard for others above ourselves. The more you want to love people, the more self-controlled you will be. Now, I'm from Texas, and we have this Texas driving. Okay, I don't know what it's like out here much, 
But I've gotten a little taste, and it's almost like Texas to where I had to revert to some Texas driving. And sometimes, if we're not careful, this is where I have found that I can lose my sanctification is on the road. And one of the places I have to learn to demonstrate love a lot is on Texas freeways. Now, I don't know what it's like in California, but I'm assuming by the looks that maybe you too may have some of those challenges. Is it only in Texas or is that some of the challenges out here in California? Okay, all right. But let's take it off the freeway and let's take it to your family way. Let's take it to your church way. Let's take it to your house. Let's take it to your job. The more you desire to love people, the more you have to restrain your mouth, your manner, your morals, and so many things. The less you love people, the less self-controlled you are in what you do with your mouth, your manner, and your ways. See, self-control is the avenue, but it's contingent on some things. Do you love God? Will you say, yes, I love God? Then self-control will be one of the things that you will walk in because of your love for God. Do you want to reflect his character? Yes, I want to be like Jesus. Then self-control is one of the things that you have to cultivate to move into that character development. Do you love others? Well, yes, I love others. Then self-control is one of the avenues to guide you in that alignment with loving others. So my question to you today, how is your love for God? How is your character development going? How is your love for others? I would look at how you're walking in self-control. That would tell me what I need to know. The fourth thing I want you to understand about the purpose of self-control as we think this through. Self-control, if you will, is for the purpose of disciplining oneself in order to receive eternal rewards from Jesus in the future to come. I was studying uh, 3rd John and 2nd John, and I think it's in 3rd John. Well, actually it's in 2nd John. I want to read that for just a moment. There's a, a passage that I could not get past that really made me think about this issue of self-control. And I just wanted you to hear this passage with me. I want to make sure it's the right one. Actually, it's in 2 John. It's verse 8. Listen to these words for just a moment. These, these words have captivated my mind for the last couple of days as I think about this issue of self-control. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished but that you may receive a full reward. Can I read that again? The second John. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but you may receive a full reward. Be careful. There is something on the other side. Now, there's an inheritance you get that has nothing to do with your character, conduct, conversations, None of those things. It's an inheritance. But on the other side of those inheritance, there are some rewards that each one of us stand to lose or gain by how well we do or don't do what God has called us to do. And I start thinking about that. And I start thinking, how much of my rewards am I losing because of my lack of self-control? And how much have 
I lost already because of it. And when I stand before the presence of God, it's not a question of my salvation, that is secure, but it's a question of in my sanctification process, in my seeking to know him, to become like him, to be useful to him, how little did I walk in self-control in those moments that God could say, you know what? I'm going to treat you like Moses. Let me show you what you could have had. But you didn't watch yourself. Here's what you get. Would that be you? Self-control is a central fruit of the Spirit for us to know him, for us to become like him. For us to be useful to him as we wait on his return and the rewards that come. There was this missionary who was seeking to minister to these particular people in this part of the world. And when he went there, the people treated him terribly. Oh, they were awful. They were disrespectful. They did a lot of mean things to him. But he chose to stay around. And around the third week of being there... The leader of the group came to him and said, listen, we heard that you Christians have to love no matter what. So we put you to the test. And we've discovered that you have been true to the name of Christian. And so as a result, we're opening the doors to you and whatever you want to share with us and whatever you want to lead us in. Because you've demonstrated to be that which you claim you are. I thought about that. This man had to have a lot of self-control. What would it have been like for you and I? You guys probably would have had to grab me back and say, Nicholas, don't say that. Nicholas, don't do that. But, but, but they just, do you see how rude they were to us? Shh, don't, but, 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 you'd have to grab me, right? Or maybe I'd have to grab you to say, hold on, brother, hold on, sister, don't, don't, no, 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 oh. Aren't we being tested right now, guys? And the question is, are people seeing the love of Jesus? If they are, that means that we are walking by self-control. Because I'm sure there are many times you wanted to say many things. And the Lord had to grab a hold of your mouth. And you had to say the very opposite. Or did you allow yourself to go with what you felt in the moment versus the self-control God gives you? by his power in the moment. You and I have to think about this self-control is more than just self-control. It is the avenue to us knowing him. It is the avenue to us becoming like him. It is the avenue to us being useful to him. It is the avenue by which if we are faithful to it, we can get the fullness of the rewards as we watch ourselves. So what does it look like? How do we picture this thing called self-control. How, how do we take this passage as God has unfolded by way of Paul in the book of Galatians, this one aspect of this fruit, this one slice? Well, how do we see it? How do we know what it looks like? I want you to walk with me for just a moment as we talk about this picture of self-control. And here are some things that I thought were very great ways for us to think about it. Notice he says in this passage, one who is self-controlled in this particular section. And again, you got the notes to see the ones who wrote this. And I thought this was powerful. One who is self-controlled does not let himself become a slave to whim. 
uncontrolled passions, the deceitfulness of riches, carnal lust, or other evils. And, and that's the thing that I have to think about a lot, a slave to whim. Now, guys, I love to eat. And as you can tell, I haven't been missing any meals. Right? And amen. All right. I feel you, man. That's the one time he was on point with, no, I'm messing with you. But the challenge for me is I'm having to say no to a lot of things that I really want to say yes to. And when I think about this, a slave to whim, you know the hardest person to say no to? It's you. And you have the power to do it. You just won't do it. You know how I know? Because I won't do it and I have the power to do it. But self-control is learning that there's something greater behind my no and it's something bigger than satisfying the whim of my yes in that moment that's a picture of self-control let me give you another example one who is self-controlled puts himself under such control that whatever good and profitable thing he must desire to do that is the godly thing that he pursues by faith self-control says i'm looking at the greater good Not my immediate satisfaction, but the greater good. Thirdly, self-control is the believer's wall of defense against the sinful desires that wage war against the soul. And here's my favorite one. Self-control is not control by the natural self, but control of the natural self. Isn't that powerful? And I love that. It's not controlled by the natural self. It's control of the natural self and other sinful self. Natural desires must be gratified only within the scriptural boundaries. And sinful desires must be denied entirely. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a picture for us of self-control. This baseball player, he was very famous. He was on this team and he kind of thought that because he was the star of the team that he didn't have to do what everyone else had to do. And so as they were at their practice, the coach said, all right, everybody, let's take one mile around. And when we've done with the one lap of a mile, we all get on the bus. The star of the team said, I'm not doing that. I've done enough for today. I'm tired. And the coach said, no, sir. We all work together. He says, no, sir, I will do what I want. He says, well, we're going to sit right here until you line up with the rest of us. So they sat for a while, and it finally hit the guy, and he finally acquiesced, and he came to his senses, and he went around. And he said, you know what I learned about myself is that the biggest battle I have and the biggest person I have to fight is me. You know what I thought about? Isn't that true for all of us? Our biggest fight is not with others, but with ourselves. And the biggest battle that we have to overcome is learning how to say no to ourselves and yes to the will of God, which requires us to walk by the power of self-control. Well, Let me move forward. And pastor, I forget sometimes, you know, I start lingering. You know, we preachers, we talk too long. Tell me, and help me remember, what is my stop time? Because, you know, four o'clock. Wonderful. (laughs) I thought 4.30, but I can do four. No, no, I'm kidding. (laughs) 
All right, good, good, good. I want to make sure I don't want to overkill you guys, but I I wanted you to understand how serious. Are you guys seeing how serious this self-control thing is? And I think too often we we miss the mark in recognizing not that something that we have to cultivate per se is something we already have that we have to work out as God's power will produce it. But we do have to cultivate that surrendering to it, which means we've got to recognize something bigger than ourselves is at stake. So with that in mind, I I want us to look at for just a moment the the pitfalls that keep us from this self-control that we've been talking about. We've seen what it looks like. We've seen the definition. We've seen the purpose. But but what are some of the things that will keep us from self-control? Go back to your Bible to Galatians chapter 5. And I want to read back verse 16 to verse 21. Verse 16 to verse 21. And I think Those are pretty central that I want us to go back to. He says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Then it goes into the deeds of the flesh. And we talked about that. And from this passage, I want to share with you at least two central things that are pitfalls that that keep us from walking by self-control. One of the central pitfalls that keep us from self-control is listening to the logic of our flesh above the wisdom of God. You see the verse says the flesh wrestles against the spirit. And you know, the flesh makes a very good argument. Would you agree? You don't have to say anything. You agree because you keep listening to it. So it must make a very good argument, right? Does that make sense? So one of the things that keeps us from self-control is we keep listening to the logic and it is a contradiction to what God is telling us. And the more you listen to the logic of the flesh, the less you will walk in self-control. But secondly, a central pitfall that keeps us from self-control is not only listening to the logic of the flesh, but then living by that logic on a regular basis. Your flesh is always seeking to contradict you. Now, some of you may be too young, but some of you, I'm dating myself, the old Flip Wilson philosophy, the devil, what? The devil didn't make you do it. You made a decision. The devil just gave you opportunity. And as the devil creates situations because he's the God of this world, and you allow your flesh to be consumed with the wisdom of this world, you make decisions by that versus saying no and surrendering to the Spirit of God. Young people, you want to know who Flip Wilson is? Google it. (laughs) Does everybody understand that? This keeps us from self-control. Here's the third thing I want you to see. A central pitfall that keeps us from self-control is lusting After the things of this world above valuing the love of God and the love of others. The more this world is more important to you than God and other people, you will not walk in self-control. You will allow yourself to be indulgent in whatever you want, however you want, whenever you want. But then finally, a central pitfall that keeps us from self-control is living by the wisdom of the world above living by the wisdom of God. 
That's that John or James 3, you know, when there is uh, selfish ambition in your heart, earthly, natural, demonic wisdom. The more the logic of this culture determines your decisions, the less you're walking by the power of self-control that we have been given through the indwelling Spirit of God who reigns in our hearts. I don't know about you, but one of the most dangerous zones for me are pizza buffets. Man, pepperoni, hamburger, sausage, the mixture. I mean, you just, the combinations just don't end. Am I the only one that thinks like this? And then you go in there, oh my goodness, and then they do this terrible thing and say, you can have as much as you want for this low, low price. And before they finish, I'm already in my wallet going, there you go. (laughs) And I'm just picking like, Lord, thank you. (laughs) What a great country I live in. This is so (laughs) wonderful. And I'm just, but here's the problem. The problem is not the buffet. I don't know when to say no. Even when my belly is full and I'm having to pull my belt buckle aside. Some of you know what I'm talking about? And I'm, I'm, it's, it's obvious I need to stop. But then they do this evil thing. They bring out that fresh one and put it out there. And I'm going, man, it's time. Right? Do you guys understand that that is all Satan is doing? He's giving us a buffet of things in this world and saying, go for it. And our hearts are saying, yes. And the Spirit of God is trying to tell us to say, no. And you know what? It's not that those things are bad in and of themselves. But because we haven't learned to say no, we become too indulgent in the things. And we're not developing and knowing him. We're not developing and becoming like him. We're not developing and being useful to him. We're not anticipating his rewards because the delights of this world have become too important. We're worried about making more money than we are about making disciples. And when that happens, we've gotten caught up. Where is God challenging you to come on to the reason he saved you. God didn't deliver you from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and soon the presence of sin. God didn't change your position from sinner to saint. He didn't change your condition from being dead to alive so that you can continue to say yes to your flesh. He delivered you from all of that so that by his power you would seek to know him to become like him, to be useful to him as you wait on his return, as he's given you the power now to say no and cultivate self-control. So how do we do this, guys? How do we learn to cultivate the art of self-control by the power that God has given us as the indwelling spirit reigns in us? I want to suggest to you four things as we close this out today. And I want you to think about these things. And as you put these to practice, 
you will begin to see the power of God working to help you cultivate the art of self-control. Because the goal is not self-control. The goal is that through self-control, you're lining up with God and you're finding yourself more in devotion to him. As you're walking in self-control, your character is reflecting more of him. As you're walking in self-control, you're demonstrating more love for others. As you're walking in self-control, you are adhering to the warnings of Second John 3. You're watching yourself so that you don't lose what's been gained. Let me suggest to you four things to consider to develop in the self-control that we see in this passage. Number one, surrender. Surrender. Surrender your devotion. Surrender your desires. Surrender your direction of life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Stop trying to be what God already is in your life. He is your Lord. Surrender. But secondly, study the Word of God on a regular basis in order to learn and embrace the proper order and priority of things in all aspects of life according to God. Learn his design. Learn his order. And as you learn it, identify ways that you can adjust to that reality. But here's the third thing that I want you to think about with me. Through the Holy Spirit's enablement, and here's a difficult one, cultivate in the discipline of detaching and detoxing from the desires of the soul that are keeping you from aligning with the guidelines and guardrails of God's standards. Now, this is an interesting discipline of detaching and detoxing because it's painful. And, and what we're talking about in detaching and detoxing, as you've studied Hebrews, and it talks about lay aside every weight and sin that so easily entangles us, the cultivation of detaching and detoxing says this, there are some things in my life that are not wrong, but they're weighing me down from knowing him, becoming like him, and being useful to him. I need to detach from those things, and it's going to be painful, which is why the detox is painful, because I'm having to resist, and it hurts to resist. But the longer I resist, the less pain I'm going to have. But I've got to cultivate this process. And there's some sins in my life. There's some things that I know, and by God's power, I can resist. I can detach and detox. It's not that I can't. I have not been. And so it's going to be painful. But as I walk by God's power and is detaching and detoxing, he'll give me the peace that transcends all understanding. But it's going to hurt at first. Because nobody likes to detach and detox. I have lost about 65 pounds in the last year. Praise God. But it's hard when people are like, do you want some of this? And you know what my answer is? I do, but I can't have it right now. Yes, I would love those chicken wings that you're offering, but I can't have it right now. And it's been a difficult thing to detach and detox. But the more I do it, the more stability I'm seeing in my health, the more power I'm experiencing from God to know him, to become like him. It's difficult. That may not be your thing. You you follow me? I'm not telling you to stop eating chicken wings and pizza, okay? okay? That's not you, and I'm not telling you to do that. I indulged it so much that I have to limit how much I do it because I didn't know when to say no. You may know when to say no. I didn't. And so I have to make adjustments in my life in these areas to detach, to detox. Here's the fourth thing I want you to see. Through the Holy Spirit's enablement, cultivate in the discipline. Here's a difficult one, but you can do it. 
of adjusting your desires to align with the guidelines and guardrails of God's standards within the context of any situation and act or respond according to the guidelines and guardrails. Do you know, along with detaching and detoxing, you have to accept that sometimes what you want in a situation and what God lets you have in a situation are two different things. And the moment you accept what you can have, instead of trying to force yourself to get what you can't have, you're learning the art of self-control. You're adjusting your desires to get you in the situation. When you're angry or worried, you're not adjusting your desires to fit the situation. You still want more than what God's sufficiency in the moment will let you have. And the moment you recognize that what you can have, you must accept versus what you want, you're learning the art of walking in this self-control. Let me read this story to you. I thought it was fascinating. A traveler tells the following story. As I was dining in a home, I was startled to hear the hostess ask her servant to place a bowl of milk on the deerskin beside her chair. I knew at once that there was a cobra in the room, for they prefer milk to anything else. We also knew that a hasty movement meant death. So we sat like statues, soon to our amazement, a cobra uncoiled from my hostess's ankle and swiftly guided toward the milk where it was quickly killed. Here's the point that was made. When the seductions of your flesh, when the suggestions from the culture, and when the setups from Satan wrap around you like a snake wrapped around the hostesses, you will have the enabling power of the internal Holy Spirit to guide you in the fruit of self-control to resist the triumphs over evils from within and without. Isn't that beautiful? It's powerful. But let me close with this key point that I want you to take away from. If you miss any and everything I said, I want you to take away this. It's from a book I read a while back called Your Future Self Will Thank You. Listen to these words. Self-control is a valuable virtue operating behind the scenes to sustain a healthy holy life. It is foundational for a life of freedom from the bondage of sin and flourishing in the newness of life granted to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Self-control is what allows a person to live a life that glorifies God and blesses others. Whenever you resist to control yourself, you place yourself under the control of that person, place, product, or pleasure you have given in to. Isn't that interesting? So where you lack self-control, someone else or something else is controlling you. You have the power, saints. The question is, do you want to access it? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you've given us the book of Galatians. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you indwell us. And that you are empowering us, but you will not obey for us. So, Lord, we ask your forgiveness where we have refused to embrace your power and obey according to what you've given us. And, Lord, we no longer make any excuses to you. We want to make confessions. And as we confess our lack of self-control, we're confessing our lack of interest in being devoted to you, our lack of interest in being 
reflective of your character, our lack of interest of loving others, our lack of interest in the eternal glory that's to come. And we pray, Lord, now that we would learn to no longer listen to the logic, that we would surrender, that we would detach and detox, that we would adjust our desires to fit the situation, that we would recognize that life is more valuable with you and living a life for you. We ask all this in Christ's name.